So if I asked you today to think of someone who has authority, wonder who comes to mind for you. Maybe that strict head teacher, maybe a politician, maybe the Pope, someone who has authority. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it, authority? Because sometimes it has nothing to do with a person's position or role. I was slightly in awe and also wondering how to parent my three-year-old this week. I watched him in Kew Gardens round up a group of boys, about five of them, that were at least eight, and somehow he had control of the game. Somehow my three-year-old had an authority that these older boys kind of bowed to, and they capitulated and played exactly how he wanted them to play. Tom Wright tells a lovely story as he looks at this um, passage, and uh, it's of a student party, and the party's going, and suddenly a policeman enters the party, and he says, who's in charge here? And a sort of sheepish student comes to the front, well, I'm not really in charge, but it is kind of my house, and the policeman says, well, I'm in charge now, and the music's got to go off and the party's killed, because he has authority. He had the uniform. He had the backup behind him. Now, here we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus has done this incredible teaching through the Sermon of the Mount. And we come now to chapters 8 and 9. And the crowds, they've been amazed at Jesus' authority as he has taught them. But in many ways, he's not like that policeman at the party. He's much more like my three-year-old. He doesn't have a uniform. And he doesn't have a structure to back him up. But Matthew wants you and I to know, as he writes his gospel, this man, he had authority. And you've seen it in his teachings. And now, in chapters 8 and 9, We're going to see that authority played out in action in his works. And so here we are. Do have it open because we're going to dive into the three stories. Jesus is going to show his authority through the fact that he has power to heal the sick. But in each case and in each story, we're going to see that the point goes far beyond the physical healing. Now, We're going to dive into those stories, but I'm just going to take a little on-the-side bit now just to talk very briefly about Jesus' healing ministry. You see that everyone in the chapter goes, wow, he has authority, because they see him heal. His healing ministry is significant and important, but it isn't the primary point of the passage. But let's just take a little side just to look at Jesus' healing ministry. And I want to tell you two things that are very, very clear from this passage. Jesus' healing ministry was indiscriminate. And it was not formulaic. It was indiscriminate and it was not formulaic. Firstly, it's indiscriminate. Because have a look. You'll see that Jesus heals the old and the young. He heals the slave and the free. He heals the Jew 
and the non-Jew. He heals men and he heals women. Jesus' healing is totally indiscriminate. We also see that it's not formulaic. You see, sometimes the people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you heal me? And other times, as we see in verses 14 and 15, it's Jesus that takes the initiative in the healing. Sometimes Jesus seems to touch people and they're healed. Sometimes he just says a word and they're healed. The only thing that we find in common with all the stories that we have in our passages today is that each and every person who comes for healing has realised that in some way or another they are at the end of their own resources. They've realised that they have limitations. And the only other thing we can say that is in common with all the stories is that Jesus is moved by compassion to heal. And we see this throughout Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is always very compassionate. And so, of course, he heals people because he loves them. And he sees the pain and suffering in front of him. And we can see this. I'm going to give you some references, so if anyone's listening online or you want to follow it later. But look at these. um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Chapter 14, verse 14. Chapter 15, verse 32. Chapter 20, verse 34. And in chapters, um, verses 16, 17, Jesus is moved by compassion and so heals because he loves the people but always these things are a sign of something more something greater they're always a sign of God's kingdom coming you see Jesus is concerned with the physical and heals people but it's not his primary concern His primary concern is that we put our faith in him, that he gets to transform this world one person at a time until a time comes when he's going to make everything new and all evil will be fully banished. And so the healings then and healings today are always a little foretaste of what's to come. And I just want to say, Um, be really sceptical of any Christian preacher or anyone that comes along and says, I've got the key to healing. Because I believe that just as it was indiscriminate and not formulaic when Jesus did it, it is like that today too. Jesus heals today and it's indiscriminate and it's not formulaic. And that's quite tough for us to take because we'd quite like to have a formula that when we prayed in this way, it would happen always, all the time. But somehow there's a mystery in this business of healing because actually we're at our limitations and we surrender to an almighty and sovereign God. A God who can heal and loves to heal and does still heal today, but whose primary concern is always over you and I making us whole, in making us have faith in him so that we can be brought into an eternity where there's going to be no evil, no sickness, no suffering, no pain. And that's where he's leading us to. 
It's tough. But if you are sick today, we would love to heal you. And in the church, it is incredible because so often we do see the Lord breaking in and bringing miraculous healings today. And I know myself that um, when I grew up in the church I was in, we were in quite a tough um, situation, quite a needy place. And um, we knew we were at the end of our own resources. We knew we had limitations. And for a season, it seemed like the Lord blessed this church in a particular way. And there were many, many miracles. And I remember as a child, I was praying for a lovely lady after service. She lay down one of her legs, Julie, she's called, was slightly um, shorter than the other. And it actually was a little bit significant. It was about that much, which actually is an awful lot um, when you come to walking. And it caused all kinds of other issues for her physically. And um, we prayed, and as we prayed, her leg grew. The doctors could not explain it. Her husband, who didn't have faith, did become a Christian because he knew it was at the end of his limitation. He couldn't do that. Someone with an authority greater, a power he didn't understand, had performed a miracle. But actually, that's not the primary concern of our passage today. So let's have a look. We're in verses 2 to 4, and we get the story of this leper. Now, if you were a leper at the time when Jesus was around, you were not only seriously sick, but you were cut off from everyone else. No one would go near a leper. Now notice, look at those verses as Jesus heals this leper. He doesn't say, yes, God's willing to heal you. He says, I'm willing to heal you. Look at that claim Jesus is making about himself. That he is one with authority. That he is God. And so this leper, who's so unsure whether this incredible teacher would be willing to even engage with him, as no one else was, finds that God in Jesus is willing. And can you see the crowds, can you see the jaws dropping as Jesus touches the untouchable, as he's willing to make himself unclean for this man, and he restores him. And what's incredibly significant is what happens afterwards. Because yes, Jesus cares about his physical seat. Yes, Jesus heals him. Jesus says this, you go now to the priest and make sure you've done everything culturally right so that you can be restored to society. Because Jesus' concern is never just the physical. He's concerned with this man's emotional, psychological, social self, his whole self. And so Jesus brings out this picture of great restoration, restoring this leper. And that's what he wants to do with you and I. He wants to restore us into God's kingdom, to make us whole, to bring us true peace. And then we get um, the centurion, verses 5 to 13. Isn't it funny, um, I hold my hand up to this too, because even though I'm um, supposed to be a vicar, I guess I am a vicar, I still kind of question that sometimes. But anyway, um, I'm a vicar, and so I, um, I'm meant to pray um, quite a lot, but I'll be very honest and say that my prayers are rather heightened in a moment of crisis. Are they not? We're all right with this Jesus stuff, and then something happens, we're like, Lord Jesus, please help me. Um, and this is kind of what's going on with the centurion. 
You see, there's a crisis moment that's happened in his life. And his kind of chief of staff, if you like, is sick. And although he has authority, although he has power, he's reached his end. He hasn't got anything in him that can heal his servant, his chief of staff. And you know, in my job as a vicar, I often meet people in those times of crisis. And so often, they wish they had a little bit more surety about this Jesus stuff. They wish they hadn't left it quite so late to consider who this Jesus was. Because it's a wonderful thing to know this Jesus and have the assurity of the eternity where we are headed. To understand very quickly that we have limitations. So anyway, this chief of staff is sick, this centurion can't do anything about it, but he's not too proud to seek out for help. And the news of Jesus' authority over sickness has spread, and this centurion goes to Jesus. And it's not like a kind of, um, oh, well, I'm just kind of feeling a little bit religious today kind of thing. He actually has faith that this Jesus man has authority over sickness. And so Jesus heals his servant. But what's Jesus most concerned about in the passage? It's not the healing, it's the faith of this man. He's so pleased with the faith of this man and he wants the crowds to know that. He's so pleased with it. Because it's not just like this, I'm feeling a little bit kind of religious today, yeah, this kind of God thing might work for me. But it's, I've recognised in Jesus an authority. And I believe he has that authority. And I'm going to come before him and ask for his help. And that is real Christian faith. And something hugely incredible happens because Jesus, the Messiah, who's come to the people of Israel, now says, do you know what, guys? I haven't just come for you. I've come for every single man and woman on this earth, whatever tribe, whatever nation. Because that centurion is not a Jew. And so we get to that end of the passage and he says, do you know, alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at my feast in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be all kinds of people all kinds of people. I'm so pleased with this man's faith. It so pleases me because it means he gets, he's beginning to get that I am Lord. That my kingdom is something beyond just what he can see here. So let me get our last story. We've got Peter's mother. Um, and this is a fantastic little story. It's so quick. Um, he sees Peter's mother, she's sick, and she, he heals her. And then there's loads of crowds come along, and he starts healing everybody there too. And then we get this very, very tricky and significant bit that comes in verse 17. And it's a quotation from Isaiah 53. And Matthew puts it in, he says, This happened, Jesus' healing ministry happened. So that the word spoken by Isaiah the prophet might come true. He himself took our weaknesses and bore our diseases. It's a quotation directly from Isaiah 53. You and I must realise that those gospel writers never meant us to be ambiguous about who Jesus is. They thoroughly and utterly believed that he was the Messiah. 
as they heard him and as they saw him and as the church grew, they had faith that Jesus was God himself come down to earth. We cannot be ambiguous about who Jesus is. And um, it's fascinating, this Isaiah quote, because, do you know, for a long time in history, people believed that Christians had inserted Isaiah 53 in somehow. Um, and it's, it's never read in the synagogues, even today. You won't hear it read out loud. But it's the most quoted chapter in the New Testament from the Old. And do you know what? They found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they predated the Christian community. And in there is Isaiah 53. It's written before Jesus came, and yet it speaks all about this suffering servant and the kind of death Jesus died and why. And it's incredible. So gospel writers, three stories with the leper. We need to know that God has come to restore us fully. With the centurion, we need to realize that his faith so pleases the Lord and he wants us to enter into relationship with him. And here we need to know, as we look at this last bit of healing in the chapter, that yes, Jesus heals, but he hasn't just come to heal a little bit of illness along the way. He's come to totally heal and totally restore because he's ushering in the kingdom God. The kingdom of God is this. It's Revelation 21. It says this, God will dwell with his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. Everything will be made new as it's meant to be and there'll be endless joy and fun and freedom and happiness and peace and love and you won't be bored and it's not angels in the sky and fluffy clouds. It's the glorious kingdom of God, the city and the creation together and God making everything new. And it's incredible. And it's why God cares about the creation and us now but whatever good happens that he does here now, it's only a foretaste of what's to come. Don't miss it. Jesus wants you there. He wants you sitting around the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and feasting for all eternity. He is going to do away with everything that has set in motion why we're sick and unwell today. He's going to get rid of Everything that has set in motion the corruption that's happening in our environment today. And he's going to make all things new. And as Peter's mother is healed, she responds to Jesus in the only way anyone should ever respond to him. And that is by getting up and serving him. Because she sees. She catches a glimpse. This isn't just a great teacher who said a few good words, whose hand felt a bit hot on my tummy so it felt better and I got up. And he had real authority over that sickness. He's God himself, and so I'm going to serve him. Because actually that's an authority I can serve. I want a king who's going to wipe away everyone's tears, who's going to be totally indiscriminate in his love for everyone who's bringing in a kingdom where we're not going to be bored, we're going to be full of creativity and joy and life and love. I'm going to serve him. And this stuff divided people back then, because you kind of either go, well, yeah, 
I believe in this Jesus or I don't. But the gospel doesn't give you permission for the middle ground of, yeah, well, he was kind of a good teacher. Maybe I'll just kind of, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it doesn't let you do it. You have to make a decision like that centurion. Not a whimsical one. A thought-out one. But you have to look at this Jesus and go, well, who is he? Is he who he claimed to be? And so my challenge for us this Lent is if you've never read a gospel, read the gospel. Make up your own mind, not just what you think it's about or what someone told you in the past, but make up your own mind. Read the Gospels. And if you're a sold-out Christian today and you're following the Lord Jesus, just check, Lord, are you really Lord of my life right now? Am I serving you? Is there a way in which I might just need to serve you or just make sure you're definitely Lord and this Lent can be a great time to just have a bit of spiritual health check. To have that faith that centurion had. This Jesus, he has authority. I know it. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to ask of him what I need of him. And so when we pray for the sick, we ask with that kind of faith. And we leave the outcome to our sovereign Lord knowing for sure that he is working out for us for good and eternity where he will wipe every tear, which is incredible. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you're so not like um, the policeman who came to shut down the party, but that you've come to start the party. Thank you, God. And God, thank you that you say to us today, come, come and join the party. It's amazing. And so, Lord, would you be with us now in the rest of our service as we think on you. I pray, Lord, that we'd bring our questions, our issues to you. Lord, thank you that we can still pray for people with, and we don't know quite why you haven't healed them yet. Thank you that we can talk to you about that. Thank you that you are a great big God. And Lord, for those of us that might need to say yes to you today, would you give us the courage to do that? And for those of us that might really need to just explore who you are, Lord God, I pray that we won't leave it too late. Because it's so much fun knowing you right now. God, help us, I pray. Help us to be like that centurion, Lord.